Welcome back to the Plenary Session Podcast. I'm going to be giving you the real Plenary Session. This time, it's Adora, adjuvant Osimertinib, the AstraZeneca study. In the next few days, I'm going to be bringing you videos on a number of the biggest abstracts that hit at ASCO. But I got to start with Adora because the cheerleaders are out there in full force and we finally have what many of us has been speculating about for the last three years, information about subsequent therapy in the Adora study. It really matters when it comes to overall survival. We'll walk you through that. Let's take a look. This is entitled Overall Survival with Osimertinib in Resected EGFR Mutant Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer. It's the Adora trial. We all know this space. Prior to Adora, we had in 2017 the results of Flora. Flora shows that upfront Osimertinib has an improved PFS over Gefitinib and Erlotinib. It has better brain penetration, and it quickly became the standard of care in places that could afford osimertinib. It was the de facto frontline metastatic drug for EGFR mutation positive, L858R, and exon 19, non-small cell lung cancer. That's what it was. It was the primary standard of care upon metastasis. Now, the authors want to grab that big, sweet, sweet market share of the adjuvant space, okay? And that's what this trial is. It's the AstraZeneca effort to get the adjuvant market share from 1B all the way to 3. And that means more money for AstraZeneca because you can put a lot more people on the drug, people who are resected, and it's okay to give them more money if they show that the routine upfront use of adjuvant osimertinib is superior to the standard of care, which is Aussie upon progression when you have metastatic disease. That's what this trial is all about. So let's take a look. The Adora trial. People love the hazard ratio. The first time it came around, I think the DFS was 0.17. Now it's still pretty low, but hazard ratios don't tell you the real story. Let's take a look at the study design, Adora, a phase three double-blind randomized control trial. We take people with stage 1B all the way to 3A. Exxon 19, L858R, Asian versus non-Asian, I believe. 60% Asian, 40% non-Asian, primarily run in Japan, Taiwan, you know, some of these other countries, China, uh, United States. Um, you could get chemotherapy, could not get chemotherapy. We're following them out for DFS. If I recall correctly, the primary endpoint of the study is actually DFS in the subgroup of people two to 3A. The second endpoint is this DFS in the subgroup of people 1B all the way to 3. And OS is a secondary endpoint. They think it's a secondary endpoint. When in reality, it's the most important endpoint. And it's the key endpoint. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's, today's video. When I did videos on this topic as early as 2020, I had read the protocol and I knew the key questions. And I talked about that in lengthy threads. I was the first person to cover it on Plenary Session Podcast on any forum. And we did YouTube videos. And many of my points remain the same. Number one, this trial had inadequate staging. We all know that if somebody's two or three stage lung cancer, they need a brain MR because you need to look for the high propensity of CNS disease. And if they have CNS disease, they have stage four disease, actually. They're not eligible for Adora. They shouldn't be because they have metastatic disease and they need something like osimertinib, which has good blood-brain barrier penetration, will get right across that blood-brain barrier. Maybe they can even be spared some radiotherapy. They don't always need it, depending on the size of the lesion, locations of the lesions. This study didn't do that. It didn't mandate brain MRI, which is really, really stupid, because if you can afford $440,000 of osimertinib per person, and believe me, that's exactly what it, or that's what the average wholesale price of this drug would be for the duration of treatment, $440,000 of product. You tell me you can't afford the brain MR, and you're going to settle with the CT scan of the brain? A CT scan of the brain is inadequate staging, end of story. Inadequate staging enriches the trial with occult metastasis, which means it's more likely to win because you've got some stage four players in there anyway. And it's not an acceptable standard of care to withhold 
uh, Samaritan from stage four players, as we will see when we actually look at the post-protocol therapy in the control arm. There's no requirement for PET-CT at baseline. If you're at a university that's routinely doing MRIs and PET-CTs as part of your staging, which most places are doing, this trial does not apply to you because they didn't use the same staging. And we did a nice paper, I think Jack West and I, in the journal Cancer, where we went through all the staging modalities in non-small cell lung cancer, and we showed repeatedly how they have subpar staging, so they're actually enriching some of these studies with people with worse disease. My next point, of course, in the original videos was inadequate adjuvant chemotherapy. We know adjuvant chemotherapy has a benefit in people with EGFR mutation positive lung cancer in the appropriate stage patient. And the question is whether or not osimertinib provides an additional benefit. But if you don't give the adjuvant chemotherapy and you show osimertinib has a benefit in people who didn't get a standard of care, you're really just enriching for events and giving osimertinib more potential to have a benefit. And it's not really a fair question. It's not asking does it have a benefit beyond the best available standard of care. It's asking does it have a benefit among people who are coerced into not getting the best available standard of care? Why might it be coerced? If there's openings on a protocol that allow you to enter post-chemo or pre-chemo, as this protocol was, you may feel like if you miss your chance right now to jump on the study, you might not be able to get on the study. So you might be coerced to say, you know what, I'll skip the chemo just so I get a chance to get on the Adora trial. We don't know that that didn't happen. And as long as we don't know that, it is a concerning bias, okay? Would have been much better if everyone here had gotten appropriate adjuvant chemotherapy, then they had the OSI added. Jack West said this years ago, it is standard of care for patients with EGFR mutation positive non-small lung cancer to receive adjuvant chemotherapy. To omit this is substandard care, which likely is contributing greatly to poor outcome in the control arm, which is beneath what I think many of us would have expected. It is beneath that. Because as the other thing to factor in is you need to always adjust expected outcomes for the secular trend in outcomes over time, which is getting better in oncology. DFS events are less frequent in breast cancer. That's why you always hear, for instance, our trial didn't have enough events. It was a little bit underpowered because it, the outcomes were better than anticipated. That's sort of a classic statement in oncology. And there's lots of reasons why that's the case. Inadequate straight staging means occult metastasis, which means that this trial was set up to win. The next problem with the study was that DFS was never a valid surrogate in the setting of TKI or IO. What do I mean? Disease-free survival the time until death or relapse is a validated surrogate, actually non-small cell lung cancer for cytotoxic drugs. But cytotoxic drugs have unique biochemical properties. They cannot eradicate metastatic or macroscopic disease, but they might eradicate a fraction of people with microscopic disease, i.e. they have a differential therapeutic property when given early versus given late, much better when given early than late. Ergo, if you give it early and if you increase the DFS rate, you very likely are curing a fraction of people who would otherwise be uncured and you could subsequently increasing an OS rate. And we have a number of large-scale meta-analytic estimates that validate DFS as a surrogate for OS, i.e., Trials that show an improvement in DFS later go on to show an improvement in OS. But this is true for cytotoxic drugs. Whether or not this property is true for targeted drugs is very, very dubious because targeted drugs do not have the same principle. They don't eradicate macroscopic disease. No, they change growth rate, growth rate kinetics and they put a downward pressure, but there's no one who's really cured of an EGFR mutation lung cancer with erlotinib or osimertinib or any of these drugs. Also, when given early, they don't eradicate microscopic disease. They may merely suppress microscopic disease. Ergo, they'll improve a DFS, but maybe they won't have the same relationship with overall survival. This is a kind of a more technical concept. You really want to understand it. You got to read the book Malignant. I break it down for you. But it is vital to know this if you want to interpret these studies. DFS is not a validated surrogate for OS. 
in lung cancer with targeted therapies. It is for cytotoxics. The same for IO, actually. IO has a different property. There may be people with metastatic disease who have long-term durable remission, which removes the therapeutic differential between early and late. In the case of IO, they may both be doing well. In the case of TKI, they might not, neither might not be doing well in terms of long-term durable fraction, but in cytotoxic, it doesn't work so well in the metastatic setting, but it does work well in the adjuvant, so it has that differential property to exploit. Ergo, DFS is a strong surrogate for OS. Okay, that's kind of a technical thing, but it really mattered because the FDA didn't need to give it regular approval. All right, now we're getting into what makes this trial unique, which is overall survival and what has to happen on progression. Years ago, I made a video on YouTube. You can check it out now. The audio quality was god-awful, and the video quality was God awful. It looks like a hostage video from some part of the world, but it's gotten a little bit better. The channel's gotten a little bit better since then. Okay. Despite the fact the audio video quality is poor, the content remains spot on. At the time, I cautioned that patients in the control arm, if they've received inadequate treatment on progression, that this trial is going to have a meaningless and uninterpretable overall survival. And I said that to encourage the sponsors to do the right thing. What's the right thing, AstraZeneca? You have tons of osimertinib. It's just all around you on your back shelf. Give it to people adjuvantly, but in the control arm, when they have progression, let them get osimertinib. Why? Because the FLORA trial justifies it. Why? Because it's the US standard of care. And why? Because it's just the right thing to do is to give the best available standard of care to the control arm. And then tell me if OS is better or not. At the time, I tweeted this consort figure for a hypothetical trial called Adorable which would actually have been a good trial where you take the exact same people, I'll blow it up for you, two, three, I would have omitted 1B. You stage them properly with PET-CT and MRI brain. They all complete adjuvant chemotherapy and then they get randomized to osimertinib adjuvant, chemotherapy upon relapse or osimertinib relapse and then second line chemotherapy and then the whole time you measure health-related quality of life and you measure overall survival. This is the only acceptable trial that we needed for this space but they didn't do this in every way. They're cheating. One, they didn't have adequate staging on entry. Two, they didn't give adjuvant chemotherapy. Three, they're measuring DFS, not OS. Four, are they giving the osimertinib relapse on the right side of the figure in the second line chemotherapy arm? That's the key. Are they giving it? Because if not, you're testing, giving a lot of people a very expensive drug against negligent, substandard, unethical care that's beneath the US standard of care. You're testing, giving a lot of really costly drug against giving people a cruel treatment that is beneath what you would give them in your clinic. And that's not a fair trial. It's not fair in any way, shape, or form. It's unethical. And when, I'll talk more about that, when the history books are written, they're gonna have this book, this little trial in there. I wrote in May of 2020, when I read the protocol, did patients get osimertinib when they had metastatic disease or did they get gefitinib? I hope this is not a trial with subpar post-protocol care for the control arm. That would be deeply problematic and irredeemable. You can't control that, you can't adjust for that after the fact. There are some people who say, show me the subgroup analysis in the people who got it post-protocol. That doesn't solve the problem, you know, because it has a selection bias in those people. So that doesn't solve the problem because one, the group of people on the controller who ended up getting it is a subgroup of those people, whereas the people on the intervention arm is everybody. It's not comparable. You actually don't have a randomized comparator in that space. You can't do that, you know that. So don't say that again. Okay, rookie mistakes. Here's what I noted when I read the paper. In the placebo group, 205 people, or 60%, had disease recurrence, excluding death. Only 174 got subsequent treatment. 205 people in that control arm, they could have gotten osimertinib. They ought to have gotten osimertinib. They needed to have gotten osimertinib, let's be honest. They needed to have gotten it. According to the protocol, patients with disease recurrence could be made aware of the trial group assignments at the investigator request. 
in order to determine the next step in the treatment, which may have included open label osimertinib, if eligible, in accordance with the local product, in accordance with the local product label and protocol requirements. That's wrong. It shouldn't have been per request. It should have been obligatory. Did they get it or not? And ought they get it now or not? This is an obligatory basic ethical standard. The IRB should not have allowed this to be upon request. It should have been mandatory to tell them when they had progression, you didn't get off Samaritan. And listen, we owe it to you to tell you because you need to get it now. It matters for your life. To withhold this information from trial participants makes me sick. You would never... If your own mother was on this study, would you have her not know and then maybe not get osimertinib on the control arm? You wouldn't do that. You have to run the trial as if your own father or mother were on the control arm. What would you want for them? You wouldn't want this for them. You'd be sick to your stomach if this is what happened to them. You would litigate if that's what happened to them. Uh, Dean Musavi, Timothy Olivia, and I, we went through this trial previously. We found it was $440,000 per course of treatment. We calculated the cost to avert a simple event. $960,000. That's to revert an IDFS event in this trial. We're not even talking about overall survival. We can't, actually, because the OS is uninterpretable, as I'm going to show you. But these were the results of our original analysis. This is not going to be cost-effective. Even in rich nations, I doubt it will be. And especially now that you haven't really answered the question. People show this figure to show you that with adjuvant chemotherapy among the people who got that, the DFS probability was worse in the control arm than those who didn't get adjuvant chemotherapy. And I think they mean this to argue that uh, we weren't wrong to omit adjuvant chemotherapy. But the counterfactual for the people who didn't get adjuvant chemotherapy, who ought to have gotten it, is not on the left of the screen. It's a theoretical yellow, a th theoretical orange line that's not there. Very likely, the people who have slightly worse biology are much more likely to get adjuvant chemotherapy. The people without adjuvant chemotherapy have better biology. But had they gotten adjuvant chemotherapy, that orange line wouldn't be where it is now. It would be higher, above it, okay? It's not going to be closer to the left. It's going to be closer to the osimertinib arm. They're trying to deceive you because they think you don't understand what they're doing here. Okay, that's really what they're doing here. Okay. This is the big result, the figure everyone cares about, the overall survival. Stage 1B, the overall survival is terrific in both arms, despite the fact the control arm is getting negligent care upon progression, as I'm going to show you. In stage 2, some difference. Stage 3, I think you start to see the bigger differences. Here's what they write. A protocol amendment that allowed eligible patients to receive open-label osimertinib at recurrence was implemented after the primary analysis. That was wrong. It should have been implemented in 2017 when the FLOWRA trial was published. It should have really been implemented perhaps even before that when you knew the results of FLOWRA. The trial accrued from 2015 to 2019, so it certainly should have been implemented for anyone who accrued after 2017. And it should have been mandated. Everyone should have been mandatory unblinding and getting off Samaritanib anytime after 2017. It's 2023 now, okay? Years have passed after they ought to have done the right thing, and they didn't. And this is the key figure. 79 people among an initial 343 people got osimertinib on the control arm. It's shown at the top of your screen. Some people call this a 43% rate of osimertinib. That's the wrong denominator. Other people say it's 29%. They use the total population as denominator. That's wrong too, because if you haven't progressed, you couldn't be eligible for osimertinib. So I'll do the correct denominator. 205 people had progression events on the control arm, and only 79 got osimertinib. That's 38.5%. That's horrific. And this is not osimertinib as the first initial subsequent therapy. This is any subsequent therapy, according to my reading of this chart. 
So that means it's probably even worse because some of these people are maybe getting it as the second or third line metastatic drug when it ought to be given upfront pleuroflora. 38.5% is shitty. It is really bad. If your mother or father were on the control arm, you want them to have a 100% chance of getting osimertinib when they have progressive disease. You would not settle for 38.5%. And so this is a study where 100% of people got osimertinib, some of whom may already have been surgically cured, versus a control arm where only 38.5% of people who should have gotten osimertinib got osimertinib, even though that was the global best standard practice of care, they got a delinquent, negligent control standard of care, including, look at some of these options. Experimental EGFR drugs that are not even in use, platinum compounds, taxanes, pyrimidine analog. This is not what you would give an EGFR mutation positive patient with recurrence. Who is giving this? Of course, it's only gonna be given in a place that's resource poor, okay? Let me make that point. This trial does not benefit the citizens of America because the control arm is not reflective of the practice in America. So I don't know the routine upfront application of osimertinib is better than the American standard of care, which is giving it routinely at frontline metastatic disease. It doesn't help people in America. It doesn't help people in the countries the trial was run either because they are telling you, they're showing you, they're dying and showing you they cannot afford osimertinib even as a frontline metastatic drug. Only 38.5% of them can get it. Even when the company's giving some for free, but not enough for free, they can't afford it. They can't afford it. So you mean once this trial is positive, they sure as shit can't afford it for the adjuvant space. It costs way more and more people have to get it. So it doesn't help that country either. It helps neither country. It's exploiting these countries to get U.S. regulatory approval, helping neither the citizens in the U.S. because it doesn't tell us about what we ought to do, and it doesn't help the people in those countries either. It's the great sin of oncology. Giving osimertinib on relapse in my adorable design, my hypothetical design, could be cheaper less toxic, better health-related quality of life, and it could omit treatment in 40% of people who may never need it anyway. They're surgically cured. It could save money. It may have a comparable OS to what's seen in the intervention arm here. It may even have a better OS because you don't have drug toxicities. It may even have a better OS. We don't know that to be the case. The cheerleaders in oncology, they fail us. They're really doing a bad job here. In the long arc of medical history, there are many clinical trials and practices that were perfectly appropriate at the time, but in retrospect, were deeply problematic. I say in a recent podcast with Mandrola, the guy who invented the lobotomy and used it willy-nilly where it didn't do any good won the Nobel Prize. People can be seduced in medicine. They can think they're doing the right thing, but only reason and rigor can tell you you're doing the right thing ethically. This trial is unethical. It's ethically debunked. It's, it's a fraud. It's a great crime that it happened. It's exploiting people in some parts of the world who cannot afford osimertinib to justify the routine application to people in other parts of the world who have the money to pay for the osimertinib. It's a predatory trial. The trialists had the opportunity. They could have said to the company, we were happy to run this study, but the moment the flower results come and the moment they change the practice in their clinics, which they did, they could have said to the company, you have to give everybody mandatory unblinding upon progression and give them the study drug. And if you don't, we will not enroll on this trial and we are gonna protest against you. They didn't do that. Why don't they do that? Because they put their career before patients every day of the week. And if you don't believe me, go to openpayments.com and look them up and see who's paying them. Adora conclusions, this is what the discussant says. Adora is the first phase three clinical trial of a targeted therapy in the adjuvant setting demonstrate an overall survival benefit. Yeah, but the control arm is getting delinquent, dilapidated, unethical care. So this is a mute, moot point. I don't know if it's actually better than giving it upon relapse. In fact, giving it upon relapse might have better health-related quality of life and better OS even. 
firmly establishes adjuvant osimertinib as the standard of care? No, it doesn't. Not at all. Mandates EGFR mutation testing early stage lung cancer. Doesn't do that. That's a separate randomized trial you could have done, but you didn't. Adora is a groundbreaking trial. Hmm. You have to cheerlead, don't you? No, it's not. I'm sorry. It doesn't open a new chapter for precision medicine. It reflects the failures of oncology. 21st century oncology in this period of time will be remembered as a deep ethical and moral failure where the pursuit and love of money trumped reason, ration, evidence-based medicine, critical appraisal, trumped all that. And that's how it's gonna go down in history. Somebody tweeted this. Here's a pin that symbolizes five consecutive years for AstraZeneca with a plenary presentation at ASCO. And this is the problem. You think this pin is what you should be chasing. What you should be chasing is the answer to the question we face. One, is it preferable to give everyone adjuvant osimertinib or give it upon metastatic relapse, which is a question for the US? If so, does the OS and health-related quality of life, is that cost-effective given how many additional people have to be treated? You don't answer that question. You don't even come close to answering that question. The other thing you could be doing instead of making your pins is to say, these countries where people cannot afford osimertinib upon progression, maybe we should make it free there. Maybe we should give it away for free. We're already exploiting the US market. We're getting hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue from the US market. Maybe we can give a little bit for free, okay? Just so that we don't live in an exploitative global system. But you rather celebrate your pins and your promotions and that's what sickens me. Okay, and this. This highlights the need for global advocacy for access reimbursement for EGFR testing and treatment to avoid worsening in disparities and inequities in global access to effective treatments. You couldn't even advocate for your patients on the control arm. You didn't advocate for your patients on the control arm. You let them get inadequate therapy upon progression, which actually made your OS signal unreliable. I can't use it to conclude that routine adjuvant is better than giving it upon metastatic relapse. And if a trial cannot answer a meaningful question, the trial itself is unethical. That's a principle of trial design. You couldn't advocate for these 343 people. 205 progressed. You couldn't advocate for anyone beyond the 79 who may not have gotten it first line, they may have gotten it later. You couldn't advocate for 205 people, and now you want to advocate for the world. Give me a break. You're advocating for yourself. That's what I know is the case. All right. I don't like this. And more people wouldn't like it if they use their brain and thought about it for just a minute. Just think about it. Close your eyes and imagine it's your mother and father and they're assigned to the control arm of this drug and you mean to tell me they're taking a pill and then one day they present with a painful back lesion. And let's say you biopsy and it's proven metastatic EGFR lung cancer. You mean to tell me you wouldn't bend heaven and earth to give them osimertinib? you would do it every day of the week. And if you didn't do the same thing for somebody on the control arm of your study, then you're living by a double standard and that's untenable. The only ethical principle you need in your heart is to treat every patient on the control arm of your study as if they were your mother and father and you didn't do it here. And as such, the trial is defunct, it's bankrupt, it's unethical. IRB should have halted it. The FDA should not have given it a regular approval. They gave it based on DFS, which is not a validated surrogate, which is in contradiction with their own stated guidance. We've outlined that in a 2016 paper. This is the rot in oncology. and moral rots are often this way. It's a rot where many people turn a blind eye to it. But when the history book is written 50 years from now, this trial is gonna be in the same chapter with the lobotomy guy. It's gonna be an unethical trial. Although everyone at the time praised him and he won the Nobel Prize and he got his fucking pin, he did a really shitty thing for a lot of people who are dying of lung cancer. So those are my thoughts. Welcome back, this is Plenary Session. This is the only place where you actually get the real appraisal of clinical trials. And everything else is probably not on the mark. This is the right answer. Okay. If you like this video, you need to do like, subscribe, comment, leave a message below. I'm going to put it on Twitter and then I'm going to put it on YouTube a little bit later. 
Listen to Plenary Session. We got a great discussion with Mandrola coming up. If you want to fix this, you're, you in oncology, it's up to you. You got to fix this. Read the book, Malignant. Think about the principles. Fix it. Life is short. We only got 25 years left for me. I don't know how many for you, but we don't got much time to fix this. All right. Until next time.